BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Stay connected and never miss a beat with AT&T. Our reliable network covers more roads than any other carrier, ensuring you're always in the loop. Whether it's tournament upsets, buzzer beaters, or social media buzz, stay up to date. Don't let the action pass you by. Check if you're eligible for a free trial of in-car Wi-Fi at att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi. And keep the madness going. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Welcome to the Republican presidential debate here on the Fox Business Network. Round two of CNN's presidential debate starts now. In the center of the stage tonight, businessman Donald Trump. Right from the jump tonight, Donald Trump made waves. It's November 2015. The competition to be the Republican nominee for the 2016 presidential election has just begun to pick up steam and a new political Twitter account has emerged on the scene. Posting at 10 underscore GOP, it announces itself as Tennessee GOP, the hub for the state's Republican party. It looked like a totally legitimate account. The picture on the Twitter page featured Tennessee's state seal. The account had all the right values. Quote, I love God, I love my country, it announced on its profile. It soon posted literally thousands of tweets, pro-Christian, anti-Islam, pro-family values, anti-gay rights, and it weighed in on the candidates with tweets applauding Donald Trump. Mixed in were various lies, but ones that seemed believable to a readership conditioned to think the worst of the other side. For example, claiming, quote, Obama wants our children to be converted to Islam. According to a new public policy poll, A majority of Republicans still believe that President Obama is a Muslim. The account also mocked the idea that Russia had anything to do with election hacking. There's no doubt now that Russia has used cyber attacks against all kinds of organizations in our country, and I am deeply concerned about this. How concerned am I on a scale of 1 to 100? I'm concerned 100. And it ridiculed anyone who suggested that the claim might be true. That was part of the account's appeal. Donald Trump had been lauded on the campaign trail for not mincing words about his competitors. Jeb doesn't really believe I'm unhinged. He said that very simply because he has failed in this campaign. It's been a total disaster. Nobody cares. And Frank- Go ahead. I'm relaxed. <laughs> You're the basket case. Go ahead. What we want to do is to replenish the Social Such a Security nasty Trust woman. Fund. 
This Twitter account was just following suit, tweeting out a mix of pro-Trump cheerleading, far-right-wing content, and conspiracy theories. 10GOP gained over 100,000 followers, and each follower was pushing it out to their hundreds, or even hundreds of thousands, or even millions of followers. By November 2016, just one year after its creation, 10GOP was garnering support from the highest profile supporters of the presidential nominee, including General Michael Flynn, Kellyanne Conway, and even Donald Trump Jr. This meant that on Election Day 2016, it was in the top 10 of most widely read accounts, more than most politicians, media outlets, even celebrities that day. It was routinely retweeted, not just by Republican activists and politicians, but by most members of the incoming Trump administration. It was extremely influential in far-right political circles. And throughout all that time, no one stopped to ask who exactly in Tennessee was running this account. That is, no one besides the real GOP party in Tennessee, which wasn't behind the account. It took them three separate complaints before Twitter finally took action, permanently suspending the 10 GOP account in August of 2017. For the executive director of the state's Republican Party, the account had just been a nuisance, a case of brand impersonation that confused voters trying to find the official verified Tennessee GOP page. We had no idea, um, never were in contact with whoever ran the Twitter account. You know, for the most part, we assumed it was somebody in their basement running this Twitter account. But the person behind 10GOP wasn't just some guy living in his mom's basement. It wasn't even someone in America. The Tennessee account had been a sock puppet, a fake account run by a real person working for a Russian government troll farm. And it was just one of thousands of fake accounts removed by Twitter for participating in a strategic disinformation campaign targeting the U.S. 2016 presidential election. Twitter is cracking down on accounts deemed to be fake. Facebook on Wednesday said it had suspended a network of fake accounts used by Russian military intelligence company reportedly deleted some 70 million users from its site. That's equal to roughly 20% of the site's monthly tweeters. I'm Peter Singer, and this is Like War. Part 5, Fake News Incorporated. The interference that targeted the U.S. presidential election in 2016 came from all over the place. It came from tiny Eastern European countries, where teenagers were trying to make an extra buck. It came from within the United States, on the darkest corners of the internet. And perhaps most notably, it came from the IRA. That's not the Irish Republican Army, or an individual retirement account. No, we're talking about the Internet Research Agency. The Internet Research Agency was a troll farm, a sock puppet army of fake online accounts and automated bots spreading synchronized talking points. The agency was based out of a small industrial building in St. Petersburg, Russia. My co-author Emerson Brooking can explain who was the mastermind behind the troll farms. 
Now, this was not part of the Russian government. This was essentially a marketing firm operated by one of uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin's cronies. When we talk about Russian interference in the 2016 election, most of the Russians doing that interfering, running those Facebook and Twitter sock puppets, they weren't spies or agents of the Kremlin. Instead, they were basically viral marketers. The IRA didn't conduct actual research per se. That is, unless you counted its information warfare efforts on how to use the internet to target Russia's enemies. Set up by one of Putin's cronies, who would later be indicted by the FBI, the organization started hiring young, English-literate Russians. Many of them had majored in the humanities and couldn't get jobs elsewhere. They'd grown up, like millennials around the world, steeped in global internet culture, which is very much American culture. That meant when they were asked to pretend to be American voters, to play to American political issues, they were quite good at it. And indeed, for many of the young Russians doing this work, they didn't bear any special animus against the United States. Instead, they saw it as sort of a, a creative challenge. The creative challenge? To set up and run thousands of sock puppet and tens of thousands of bot accounts online. They had one main purpose, to export Russia's influence. Not by making people love Russia, but by generating confusion and anger among Putin's foes. They did so by spreading falsehoods and sowing division among the Americans who they were masquerading as. To operate a sock puppet means that you are inhabiting a particular identity, that you consciously take steps to make this identity seem and feel like a real person. You might invent a fake history, background, interests. And the intention is when you write or share content using this persona, you've convinced everyone else that this is a real person who's doing it. Instead of trying to get a real sympathetic person to write your story for you, you can just create a fake persona. They would plant a seed of a story. That story would be repeated by other media properties would pick it up. So there would be this like chain of citation. Being a paid troll for the Russian Internet Research Agency wasn't easy. There were some leaked documents in 2014 that revealed some of the strict quotas that these employees were under. They were expected to work average of 12 hours a day to post on news articles 50 times, to maintain six different Facebook personas and publish at least three posts a day that were discussing ongoing events. And they also had metrics they had to meet. By the end of the first month that they were employed, they were expected to have uh, 500 subscribers. In many ways, it was like Black Mirror meets The Office, spending hour after hour in a cubicle, impersonating someone from afar. On Twitter, they were expected to get as many as 2,000 followers and tweet at least 50 times a day. Bespalov worked inside Russia's Internet Research Agency for three months in late 2014. He'd write up to 20 fake articles a day, spinning the war in Ukraine. That article would then be posted by a blogger 
and then be spread by someone in the social media department? That was one way, he says, or bloggers would write fake posts and he'd quote them in the articles. They bragged about sometimes occupying 50 different identities at the same time, of how they might be a retired military veteran and a young African-American activist the next, how they were weaving these fictions and stories and doing so to advance, ultimately, the objectives of the Russian government. So you believe that this operation was backed by the Kremlin? Absolutely, he says. Bespalov also believes it's still up and running. These troll farms can produce such a volume of content with hashtags and topics that it distorts what is normal organic conversations. As it turned out, all that effort by the IRA had paid off. The sock puppet personas may have been fake, but their influence was very real. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Your tax refund belongs to you, not an identity thief. Over $6 billion in tax refunds were flagged by the IRS for possible identity theft in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. LifeLock monitors and alerts you to identity threats you may miss on your own, even if you're careful with your personal information. And if you do become the victim of tax-related identity fraud, LifeLock has U.S.-based restoration specialists ready to help solve your identity theft issues. Plus, all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package, meaning LifeLock will reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Let LifeLock help you protect your financial information so all you have to worry about is what to do with your tax refund. Go to LifeLock.com news and save up to 25% your first year. That's 25% off at LifeLock.com news. Identity theft protection starts here. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infinity QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. The debate continues today as to what forces were most important in swaying the 2016 election to a result that surprised even Donald Trump himself. But what was undebatable is that the Russian online influence effort, especially combined with its hacking of the DNC's email system, had altered what both American media and American voters were talking and thinking about. 
Our own research found that it surpassed in Facebook discussion of not just political topics, but even topics like the Cubs finally winning the World Series. It gave a foreign power influence over the course of the election in a way that had never happened for a democracy before. The Russian intent had been to paralyze the country, perhaps to fatally wound an incoming Clinton administration and to bog them down with domestic troubles so America could focus less on restoring the NATO alliance and less on countering the Russian invasion of Ukraine and Russian intervention in Syria. Instead of crippling a Clinton administration and handicapping the United States, the Russian government succeeded in defeating Clinton and miraculously in electing someone who would be much more their ally. So the Russian government's efforts truly did succeed beyond their wildest dreams. Days after the election, as the full extent of social media's power was becoming apparent, Facebook was also taken aback. The platform, originally created by a college student to help rate whether his fellow doormates were hot or not, had just become the center of politics, and not in a good way. Mark Zuckerberg gave a quote that he quickly came to regret. You know, personally, I think uh, the, the idea that you know, fake news on Facebook, of, of which you know it's a it's a very small amount of of, um, of the content, uh, influenced the the election in any way. I think is a, a pretty crazy idea. Now he was immediately criticized for this. He was criticized in large part because you could go to Facebook advertising brochures and see where Facebook, the company loudly bragged about being able to influence elections, and that was why politicians should advertise with Facebook. Essentially, carving out special rules for politicians. Here's how Facebook's VP of Global Affairs and Communications puts it. We have a responsibility to protect the platform from outside interference, and to make sure that when people pay us for political ads, we make it as transparent as possible. But it is not our role to intervene when politicians speak. And that's why I want to be really clear with you today. We do not submit speech by politicians to our independent fact-checkers, and we generally generally allow it on the platform even when it would otherwise breach our normal content rules. What Zuckerberg and other tech CEOs had to grapple with here was how online attention and virality and its influence on our real-world behavior was the very core of their business models. They hadn't set out to alter politics. The networks that they had created were for-profit businesses designed, first and foremost, to make money. And the more users, the more likes, the more shares and follows meant more dollars, not just in revenue, but in all-important share prices. If you were to go back 10 years, the earliest sock puppets were generally for commercial interests. It was fake comments you'd find on uh, YouTube or Instagram or Facebook. It was fake followers. It was things that you bought with money, generally for something commercial, just to, to boost your page. Now, you've probably seen the sort of thing I'm talking about where 
someone will be offering 5,000 extra Facebook page likes for $10. So today we're going to see what happens if you try to buy followers on Instagram because... If you want people to pay more attention to your tweets, then you either need to work very hard or buy your followers instead. The source and objective of the online influence efforts had changed, but the incentives for social media companies remain the same. And beyond the business model, the Zuckerbergs of the world had a philosophical belief, which also had a legal rationale behind it. They believed their websites to be platforms, not publishers. They were responsible for giving people a way to voice their opinions, not responsible for what those people, real or fake, voiced, nor any of the consequences. Congressman, we do not uh, want to become the arbiters of, of truth. But in the year following the 2016 election, all that started to shift. Facing criticism from both Congress and users of their own networks and even their own employees. Do you see a potential problem here with a complete lack of fact-checking on political advertisements? Well, Congresswoman, I think lying is bad. And I think if you were to run an ad that had a lie, that would be bad. So you won't take down lies or you will take down lies? I think it's just a pretty simple yes or no. In a democracy, okay. I believe that people should be able to see for themselves what politicians that they may or may not vote for. So you won't take them down. Character for themselves. Zuckerberg and other tech CEOs began to acknowledge the immense political power and influence they wield. But it was a slow burn, a dial-up pace for a digital world. The Russian operation that targeted the 2016 U.S. election was finally exposed and taken down by Facebook about a year after the election a year after Trump had been elected. In 2017, Facebook released its first of many reports, squarely putting the blame for a foreign intelligence operation on the government of Russia. In 2018, Facebook launched its first, quote, election war room, where it had specialized teams basically patrolling the network, looking for foreign activities targeting the U.S. midterm elections. And then Facebook took that model overseas, first in Brazil. Facebook has blocked hundreds of right-wing activists' accounts in Brazil as part of their campaign to tackle fake news. Then Ukraine, and then Taiwan. Facebook has rolled out stricter controls on political ads in Taiwan, and now those who want to advertise about social issues, elections, and politics are required to provide proof of identity. And all of this was a lead-up to what Facebook employees described as game day, and that was the 2020 election. By the time of the 2020 election, it was a very different social media environment. There was an awareness of the power of the platforms and a hypervigilance of the potential threats that had been absent in the previous presidential election. And scarred by years of critique, the companies took actions they claimed weren't possible in the past. So one of the things that we're going to be doing is at the top of Facebook and Instagram, um, we're going to be putting accurate information about how to vote by mail and how to do it accurately. Facebook has created a voting information center to dissuade political misinformation around voting and will help register new voters. Facebook apparently is going to limit or even not buy political ads on the platform a week before the election. Facebook, Twitter, and other companies identified various foreign interference campaigns and took down multiple false front networks. 
And they partnered with the U.S. government's cybersecurity teams, local government officials, and civil society organizations to protect information about where and when you could vote. I was part of one organization that had over 100 researchers looking for any trace of foreign interference activity or any obvious disinformation campaigns that were aimed at delegitimizing election processes. Now, these companies were still far from perfect. There was plenty of stuff that got through the cracks, plenty of content that was allowed that should not have been. But there were no large interference networks that were able to target the 2020 election, where the American people had been kept completely in the dark for months after the 2016 election. This time they had been updated every step of the way, and almost none of the tactics that had worked in 2016 worked in 2020. In 2016, the operation that targeted the US election was finally exposed and taken down the September after the election. This time around, we've seen an operation being taken down across multiple platforms in cooperation with law enforcement September before the election. And that's a really, really important difference. Catching it before it can actually reach the day that it's targeting is much more effective than catching it a year down the line. It was a huge success by one measure. But there's an old military adage about not fighting the same war twice. And that was true of the Russians and the other threat actors who were targeting the 2020 election. They weren't acting like it was 2016 anymore either. As detection methods and content moderation policies evolved, so did their disinformation strategies. For example, in 2016, most of the fake Russian accounts were fairly simple to ID for either the tech companies or any expert putting any effort into it. The often poor English and stolen profile pictures grabbed from the open internet often gave the Russians away. If you look at an account, you see a lot of pro-Kremlin content, you see a lot of pro-Trump content, uh, spelling mistakes. The English is not the first language. It's uh, more likely to be a female account, not a huge amount of followers, and it's a lot of tweeting at people. Uh, certain articles, alternative sources, that sort of thing. And if you go through the account and it consists of nothing but these recurrent themes, it's more than likely that it's a Russian troll. There is no scientific method for it because you do get these people anyway. You stay in this game long enough and you begin to recognize trolls. In 2020, the Russian trolls who had once run sites like 10GOP weren't the center of the effort. Instead of writing fake articles themselves, they hired actual American freelancers to produce their content. These freelancers had no idea that they were working for Russian trolls. In fact, a lot of these freelancers talked about them being some of the nicest editors they'd ever worked with, some of the most generous. It is tough to be a freelancer. Pay is not good. But the Russian trolls were quite generous with their money. But even then, even with the AI-generated profile pictures, the use of real Americans for the writing and promotion of this work. The actual number of people who read anything from the Russian trolls was absolutely minuscule. It could be measured in the thousands. And the result was that Russian sock puppets and fake accounts didn't have the same impact on the 2020 election that they did in 2016. Social media companies made big changes to their platforms to make sure of that. And that's a huge step forward. But the fight against disinformation is far from over. Because now... Russia doesn't have to try so hard to inject falsehood from afar. There's enough of it being created within the United States to have a powerful 
an awful effect. The Russians didn't need to create fake accounts to push conspiracy theories on everything from lizard people and QAnon. Is this idea that somehow there's a group of powerful figures who are in fact not human, uh, they're reptiles or they're lizards, uh, perhaps extraterrestrials. Q is a patriot, but we do not know who Q is. People believe that Q is someone very close to President Trump. To space satellites stealing the 2020 election. There was an entire ecosystem of domestic voices to do it, and they were bolstered by a broader media ecosystem that, just like those Macedonian teens, saw profit and power in the lies. They would get support from far-right politicians. They no longer had to tell the truth. They could invent their own conspiracies out of thin air, and millions of people would believe it, and President Trump would promote it. During the pandemic, uh, the QAnon movement has been, appears to be gaining a lot of followers. Can you talk about what you think about that and what you have to say to people who are following this movement right now? Well, I don't know much about the movement other than I understand they like me very much, uh, which I appreciate. But I don't know much about the movement. I've heard these are people that love our country. In this sort of environment, there is no need for a coordinated operation from the Russian government. And the scary thing is, it worked. Some of the most bizarre conspiracy theories that once existed only in the darkest corners of the internet became mainstream, making their way into conversation in the halls of Congress and the White House, culminating in what became known as the big lie, an overlapping concoction of some 14 different conspiracy theories each and every one of them proven false by the courts, including by judges appointed by Donald Trump. But the big lie took off online, and then in the real world, all the way up to being voiced by the once leader of the free world. It's a pure theft in American history. Everybody knows it. That election, our election, was over at 10 o'clock in the evening. We're leading Pennsylvania, Michigan, Georgia, by hundreds of thousands of votes. And then late in the evening or early in the morning, boom, these explosions of bullshit. What had once been unthinkable and unspeakable was now being voiced by the loudest voices of all. In just a decade, the constant cycle of lies and disinformation had mainstreamed itself into the American political system. Yet the poison wasn't just hitting American democracy it was also harming American public health. For in 2020, a pandemic had struck the world. And here too, Russia had quietly pivoted, weaving itself into what public health professionals called the quote, infodemic of falsehoods that surrounded the coronavirus pandemic and how to prevent it. I still come back to the idea of a booster shot. I mean, yes, you're right. The vaccines work. We've seen that. That You know what? That sounds to me like a money-making operation for Pfizer. You know, when these first came out, they were good for life. Then they were good for a year or two. And I could see the writing on the wall. I could see the dollar signs in their eyes of that guy that runs Pfizer. It was just one more illustration of the ongoing danger of these online disinformation campaigns. Whether they come from Russia or from within the United States, their influence on real-world actions could no longer be ignored. And that's what's next on Like War the very real consequences of ignoring online threats, and a look at how social media facilitated the January 6th insurrection.
This is a production of iHeart Podcasts, Graphic Audio, and Goat Rodeo. Kara Schillen, that's me, is the series lead producer. This episode is just one of a seven-part series. Find other episodes wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to dive deeper into the work of P.W. Singer and Emerson Brooking, you can access the full audiobook, Like War, on which this series is based, wherever you get your audiobooks. Writing and editing from Kara Schillen. Production assistance from Isabel Kirby McGowan. Senior producers are Ian Enright and Megan Nadolsky. Please share this series with the hashtag LikeWar to find other conversations about the series. Thank you for listening. <laughs>